0: Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 221, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, has overall attendance improved since the peak of COVID? Or has there been a normalization of student absenteeism? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, our guest is an expert on meaningful ed tech, and he'll tell us which technologies emerged from COVID as winners and losers. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by friend, Director of Curriculum and Instruction, and co-host of Class Dismissed, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's me.
0: I know May? May. I mean, that's that's a. It's hard to believe. Like this year did seem to fly by for me. I don't know if it felt like that for you, but uh, it, it seemed quick.
1: Absolutely, and and although I'm a 12 month employee, it's not that I'm celebrating the end of school. But it's May. We have endured right. and we have persevered, and it's just a good feeling um, to know that we are at this point.
0: And that's going to lead me to our topic today, which is actually about absenteeism and whether or not it's been slow to recover from the the pandemic. And I also have some other information regarding absenteeism. Um, First, before I get into any data or anything, I kind of want your general reaction. I'll give you my general reaction about absences, I guess, since we've been back at school. Do you feel like we've bounced back from probably the increased absences that we had during COVID, the, the peak of COVID?
1: Absolutely. I think attendance is better. However, there are still some pockets of concern. Um, when we go back and look at it, uh, from the very beginning of the year, we were slow to get everyone to return, um, back full speed. I think a lot of people were still hesitant. And then, of course, middle of the year, middle of the school year, I should say, there was a surge, um, and some concerns. Mm-hmm. And then after Christmas, we were kind of hit hard, um, especially on the secondary level. So January was, Um, A tough month for us um, regarding student attendance. And then we bounced right back. And I think that um, things have been smooth sailing towards the end of the school year. So it was just kind of a bumpy road, but nothing like last year.
0: That's good to hear. I I was expecting that's a more positive response than i was really anticipating um so that's good to hear that's kind of how your community looks can i make a confession about absenteeism as a parent please (laughs) okay so i was the guy who the parent that's like we don't miss school like you know this is our commitment we always go to school
1: well we are just alike (laughs) yeah
0: well but i would say the pandemic slightly changed my perspective a little bit and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like I don't know. And this this is where the confession comes in. I if there's a big trip or something or um you know just something that's I feel like an important uh opportunity for my children, I will pull them out of school for that now. And I don't know why I feel different. I guess if I'm really trying to like soul search on it, maybe it's just the fact that
1: I think that perspective of life is short yeah, and you need to enjoy it while you have it. So I I completely get that. And I support you in that in saying, you know, when I think back, there were times where my son may not have felt well and I would, you know, (laughs) power him on and get him to school. He didn't have a fever. He's getting to school. But there were days during his senior year where he just didn't feel well. Mm -hmm. And we let him I just, my perspective changed. You don't feel good. You know, you're not going to be 100% in school. You're not going to give them the effort you need. Then you're in the classroom, you know, maybe impacting others. And he has missed days this year as compared to before. Um, Having perfect attendance was a big deal for us.
0: Right. And I can't help, and we're not talking about chronic absenteeism here. Like, I'm not saying like, oh yeah, we'll miss no. a week of school or, you know, oh, we don't care. Like, no, I'm just meant like here and there. But I, I would have to think that there's other parents out there who are like me, who kind of maybe have lightened up a little bit on being so strict about getting them into the classroom every day, Uh, which kind of flips me to the data nationally, apparently um, one in four students were chronically absent in 2020. So that's like middle of the pandemic. Um, But looking at some other data, now these are from large city schools, uh, 59% of Detroit students and nearly half of Los Angeles unified students are on pace to fit that same category in the 2021 Twenty-two years, so that's why I was kind of—I don't say surprised, wow. but glad to hear that your district you weren't seeing that.
1: That's um, that's a big deal, and it, maybe we would have to break it down and compare elementary to secondary. I would say secondary still has a slight struggle, um, but our elementary students are in full force. But to hear that other districts are still struggling with pandemic-like numbers for absenteeism, um, that's alarming.
0: Now in Saying that, some cities, we have to remember, kind of had a slow roll back into the classroom, where we were a little bit more full steam ahead here in, in Mississippi, you know, so maybe that has a little bit to do with that. Um, the the article that I found was actually um, from the Thomas Fordham Institute, and it was looking at some data, but it also kind of gives some good... I don't want to call them pointers or maybe just like direction for districts to look at things. and they, they, What they refer to as attendance value added. And mm-hmm. and their whole argument is that, all right, yeah, we've got, I think it's 30 states in the District of Columbia, closely monitoring attendance now. And, and we've been doing it for a while here in Mississippi. It's tied to, uh, I guess, actual funding. And, yes. and what they're saying is we should also be monitoring partial absences. And that's, the The students that show up to school and then leave unexcused. And apparently that's pretty common in middle school and high school.
1: That is an issue. And, you know, in Mississippi, what we look at is we expect students to attend school 63% of the day in order to be considered, you know, present mm-hmm. for that school day. So I'm not sure what their, uh, policies are in the other areas but that if they are checking out early excessively then it does impact their achievement and it will impact their absentee rate
0: in their kind of like plan for attendance value added tell me if you guys already do some of this and this is their suggestions they say the school closely monitors attendance to catch problems early
1: absolutely it's a requirement daily
0: Um, three absences trigger a parent phone call. You guys may be more aggressive than that, huh?
1: We're a little more aggressive at three. We're not only contacting parents, we're reaching out to students, we're sending information, but we also send notifications to the school attendance officer at the third absence.
0: Okay. That's good. Three, five,
1: and 10 are our big numbers.
0: And then if a parent can't be reached by phone or email, there's a home visit. So I guess that's Kind
1: of The attendance officer makes home visits, but mm-hmm. when we can't reach them by phone or email, we also send a text message. And then, of course, we have attendance letters that we'll send home with the students as well.
0: And then it suggests students with frequent absences are referred to the school counselor or social worker for case management and counseling. But I guess you guys kind of do the same thing with the attendance um, officer.
1: Somewhat, because we don't have school... Uh, social workers housed on our campuses, but our counselors are a part of the attendance committees, which are also um, connected to the multi-tiered systems of support. Um, And those committees take time to look at absences to see if it's impacting achievement Um, And they are very proactive in reaching out and trying to get students uh, back on track.
0: This last one, I don't know if if you all do. I guess my son does it naturally through because he's on the soccer team. But it says high school students stay with the same homeroom teacher for all four years, building relationships and making it easier to monitor attendance and address it with families.
1: Um, I just think that your community, that's a little hard in our school community for them to have the same homeroom Mm -hmm. teacher every year. Um, But what we have is um, a block of time in our high school uh, master schedule that's called gap time. And that is a time where we address college and career information, scholarships, um, attendance, report cards, just different things um, to help the students be successful. So that's similar, um, but it's not, they will not have the same gap teacher every year.
0: And and I want to loop back around to the partial day absences. Is that do you guys have something that like can monitor partial day absences? You said 63%, oh, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So we that's why it's important to know the start and end times of the school day. All of that information is embedded into the student management system. Okay. And so it lets us know that it's an absence, that it's an unexcused or an excused absence based on the data that is being inputted every day by the teachers.
0: So judging by... This article from the uh, Thomas Fordham Institute, I guess you guys would be considered an attendance value added school, which I don't know. I mean, it may seem normal to you, but apparently it's not necessarily normal across the country. Well,
1: I just think that in our community, we were 100% poverty. Mm -hmm. We feed all of our children breakfast and lunch. And sometimes that has an impact on children coming to school. So there's just a lot of different factors that I think we would need to analyze to determine that. But in attendance value, um, generally, when you're recognized for that, you have 95% ADA or higher. Um, And so we have not mastered that this year as a district. Um, you know, as you compare all of the schools, ADA, you can, you comprise them all to get your district ADA, but I will tell you, and I check those numbers every day and I'm not the only, um, district administrator that does that, but checking those numbers every day, I do know that we are better off than we were the last two years.
0: And I mean, here you are, your title is director of curriculum and instruction. Is there a a doubt in your mind that being present doesn't affect, you know, what's important to you, which are test scores and, and student learning?
1: Well, it's it's bigger than test scores. There are standards set for every grade level and there are learning outcomes that we have in place for every term of each grade level. Mm-hmm. And if a child is not at school, then they're not developing those learning outcomes. And that includes social and emotional support, not just standards tied to an assessment for achievement. All of those things are extremely important in the development of the whole child.
0: Good stuff. Well, excellent conversation, Christina. Are you ready for today's bright idea? Yeah. I am. Our guest in today's bright idea segment is here to dive into the technological changes we experienced in K-12 education during the pandemic. Which changes were good, which changes were bad, and which changes were temporary or possibly permanent. Doug Roberts is the founder and CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation. Doug, your group is actually a liaison between tech companies and superintendents, and you guys kind of help create and find the best products for school districts. So again, Doug, welcome to uh, Class Dismissed.
2: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Um, So let's talk 30,000 foot view first. Was the pandemic something that made schools better off, technologically speaking, or was it just educators pushing through and being resilient and getting to the other side of things?
2: I work with a group of about 75 school superintendents around the country. Mm -hmm. And what we heard consistently is that the pandemic exposed some challenges we have in our system that a lot of them sort of knew we had, um, but it was hard to make the case sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to make the case to, to the public that there are kids who don't have internet access, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that we underfund our, our internet infrastructure when, you know, things are going well, but then when you're told you have two weeks to stand up a, a virtual school out of nowhere, all of a sudden, you know, CNN is, or Fox News, whatever you get your news, is saying, "Hey, there are a bunch of kids in rural and urban areas who you know who don't have who don't have internet access." And we talk about internet deserts, and all of a sudden, it's a it's a thing that's discussed. That's an example mm-hmm. of something where a lot of our members were kind of uh, glad to see that that this 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 inequity was being unearthed and discussed, and it allowed them to push legislators. Uh, lawmakers to fund internet access for kids. It allowed them to, um, you know, be part of an effort, an overall effort to lobby, which uh, federal government to turn into the Esther program, which could be used to increase connectivity. So, you know, there's a ton of, there are a ton of stories like that. We, we slayed all kinds of uh, sacred cows. We, um, we assessed a lot less during this pandemic. We changed the calendar. We added Mm -hmm. weeks that weren't there. We added days off that weren't there. We saw schools uh, add teacher wellness rooms, meditation centers, Mm -hmm. um, yoga, uh, you know, bring in the way that, you know, this used to be the the stuff that like uh, hedge funds and, you know, wealthy, you know, high-powered financial firms would do. They'd get You know, someone to come in and lead yoga classes with the staff so that it became a benefit for everyone working there. Well, we saw schools start to do that stuff. We, in general, when things got tough, you saw innovative, entrepreneurial minded district leaders start to do the kinds of things that um, used to be, you know, only seen in the private sector pivot on a dime, uh, wear many hats, learn how to do all kinds of new things. And I think those, those, those things are going to play out now as as these leaders go and try to settle into a new normal and implement new, new ideas um, in the system. I love
0: that you brought up wellness rooms. We actually did an episode um, about a district that created a wellness room for teachers. And we did that episode in October of 2019. And... Um, the episode did well, um, you know, in terms of people finding it online and, and listening to it, um, of course, wherever you find podcasts, but during the pandemic, that episode saw a huge spike. Cause I think people started to look for it cause that was pre pandemic when we recorded it. And I think people, like you said, they were like, we've got to do something for our teachers that are under all this stress and so forth. And, and uh, I think that's a good example. I know you deal a lot though, um, with ed tech as well. I, you know, there's the obvious softwares and stuff that, that kind of, you know, cropped up and, and got used a lot during the pandemic, of course, zoom like softwares, but what were the softwares out there that you hear from your membership that maybe were needed or, um, kind of bubbled up to the surface is like, Hey, this, this is a a game changer for us. And we didn't really know to even look for it before the pandemic.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to use names of, of companies or products, but categories, right. Right. Um, We've seen a huge, you know, because we what we do is we help we help connect uh, district leaders with with solution providers through a kind of needs based matching process to have short conversations about whether there's a an opportunity to do something together. And you know, our, our members use this as an opportunity to learn specifically to my, to to pick the brain of of a of a founder or of a, a CEO or C level person at a company who's kind of gone really deep on on one specific topic. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're kind of, we're the place where these companies come when they think they've got something that um, that districts are into tr- into and our the, the makeup of our partners has become heavy on uh, one-to-one instruction providers, you know, tutoring is sort of the, 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 the buzzword, but, a lot of it is not really tutoring. It's it's one to one instruction via technology that supplements the instruction that classroom teacher gives. We've seen courseware providers come out of nowhere. You know, companies that have have come in hot, raising millions um, uh, from VCs and private equity to essentially you know supplement the the, the course offerings that a district can provide. So. If you're in a small rural district now, uh, or or um, you know a small school within a city, there's no reason why you can't take AP underwater basket weaving. And if your district is not connecting with any of these providers, you should be at a board meeting asking them to do so. Any kid anywhere should be able to take any course. Even you know the district no longer has to fund an entire staff member to provide that course because you can pay for a license to one of these courseware providers. It's it is a game changer. And you know the, what remains to be seen is, does this stay as a um, supplemental course offering? Or do these places start to become sort of the next round of virtual schools, virtual schools 2.0, the private sector version? Um, and how, how will that play out? Is this the new charter school movement? Um, some of our folks are worried this is the beginning of privatization of public schools, that and some of the political stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that might be a little bit chicken little, but I know folks are worried about it in our group um, but there are regardless there are all these new solution providers out there to help with this stuff we've also seen a an uptick an uptick in new providers around uh, mental health and um, coaching services around you know equity like trying to infuse equity into everything you're doing assessment providers around mental health and equity and then we've seen other companies who do, who've been around a long time, starting to pivot and bring equity into their solution, not just their pitch, not the sales pitch. We've seen people kind of implement, you know, tools around ensuring equity uh, and equitable access to resources in everything that they do. And it's been, you know, I think the pandemic shining a light on inequities has caused the industry to react by trying to make sure that they are supporting the work of eradicating inequities. And that's a great thing. What's the general tone
0: when it comes to, you mentioned virtual schooling. And Because I mean, there was a moment there where it was like, gosh, how, we might be stuck doing virtual education. Like this is the way to go. And then I think there was kind of like this sigh of relief when we started to get back in the classroom. And I think a lot of educators that I know were kind of like, look, there's you can't replace that face-to-face learning. Like, I mean, we can try, but, it, but it's just not as good. Right. I guess, are you hearing from your members kind of the same tone? Or is there the tone of No, no, we we can make this even better, and and we can eventually be virtual with all students around the world in a good quality way. What's the future? Yeah, you say no,
2: right? (laughs) Like our group has, you know, face to face for the for the mental health, social emotional development piece is Mm -hmm. critical. You know, all of them have wanted kids in school as soon as they could do so, and then when that happened was a product of. Uh, who's on your board, who's in your community, how do people feel? Um, and amazingly, it seemed to map to how your County voted in a presidential election. I I don't, I'll never understand that, but, um, that's what happened. Right. So, uh, so when you brought, but everybody in our group, at least really wanted the kids back on campus, but there's a, there's an acceptance that, you know, some kids need to be on campus more than others. Some kids, particularly in the secondary level, can learn really well independently, and maybe don't need to be on site every day. Maybe they, if they do better in that environment, we should make that available to them. But I think districts are districts are trying to keep keep the instruction in house. They, our district leaders, feel that they're the best shot that the kids in their communities have at getting a great education um, that prepares them for a productive adult life, be that in the workforce or in college or both. Um, and they're trying to access these solution providers who can inc- help them increase the breadth of services they can provide. Um, I didn't mention telehealth, by the way, when you asked me that question last time. But huge, huge influx of telehealth, telemental health services that um, can help get services to kids who might not otherwise be able to get them. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, you start putting all that together. The role of the school in a in the life of a community and the life of a kid is changing. And they're asked to take on more and more. The, the average per pupil spend is generally up because we're providing more wraparound services in our schools. And technology is a big part of of how we can do that.
0: And uh, you've mentioned mental health and telehealth. Uh, we recently did an episode with Telehealth Startup. What are your members saying in the, in that world? Are they kind of envisioning teaming up with these companies to offer health services for their students. So almost like the district's absorbing some of that cost and then in turn, you know, giving quicker access to the students.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of, that's, that's kind of the idea, right? I mean, you're seeing um, just a complete shift in the thinking about what, what is possible um, for kids. And that's the, you know, what's the expression? Never let a, a, a crisis go to waste. I think the good leaders are trying to figure out how to how to get as much silver lining out of this situation as possible and um, use the lessons we learned um, and use the, the newfound understanding of the inequities that that we face in in our schools and try to turn the tide. Where do
0: we go from here? Like, what do you see the future looking like? What, what should superintendents look for on the horizon in terms of
2: ed tech? So I've been. It's a good, great question. I've been saying to folks, you know, keep your, diversify your portfolio if you can. Um, some of these, some of these solutions, you know, every, when things come to market so quickly, you know, it's not clear which is going to be the best fit, and you know, you want to, you want to try out a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, and I, I work with some of the most innovative superintendents in in the country who. Uh, they're, they're triers, right. They're, they're willing to, they're guinea pigs. They're willing to jump in and try something out. And they usually by developing a good relationship with the founder, um, you know, it becomes about just scoping something that makes sense for, for the district and for, for the provider. Um, and then see which, you know, and, and be open to a few different kinds of, you know, maybe middle school likes this course provider or this, you know, one-to-one intervention provider and high school likes another, or one high school likes one and the other high school likes, you know, you got to be ready to, um, to be flexible. And I've been saying that to, to our partner or vendor colleagues too, you know um, you got to make it so that these folks can get you in and try you out because there's a lot, there's a lot of money flying around right now and there's a lot of, a lot of different providers. So it's all about differentiating. So I think, you know, I'm I'm just, I'm just warning our district leaders to kind of, um, you know, try out different stuff, be, be vigilant uh, I always think it's important for um, someone in the district, if not the soup, um, someone in the district, just to kind of make sure they understand how a company is funded. So, because working with a working with a company that is you know been in existence for twenty years and traded publicly, or you know had a big private equity raise recently, um, is very different than dealing with a company that is on its second angel round Mm -hmm. and especially in terms of your access to leadership and your ability to impact the the roadmap of the product so if you if you think something is not a great fit but they're an early stage company it's an opportunity for you to work with them Mm -hmm. and help them craft their their roadmap that's that's what iei is all about we help companies you know figure out what what Feature sets and uh, benefits they need to provide or not,
0: and, and um, I, I've seen it happen. I've seen companies, you know, really take yeah. the advice of superintendents and they go, you know, what would make this really great is if you did this, and they'll put their developers on it and sometimes write the code to make it work.
2: Absolutely, but if you're dealing with an established provider that's, uh, you know, that has um, done its Series C or has been acquired by private equity, you know, then you should you should be really rigorous about finding the fit, and if the fit is not right. Don't expect that that company is going to make changes based on you. Um, you you also probably won't have access to the CEO. Um, so, you know, just, just like go in with your eyes open and make sure you're, you know, if it's a real good fit, you know, but these companies get to that point because they're providing enough of a menu of services that they can help districts with multiple things. The thing that we, we never seem to be able to get, and it's the holy grail of this work, we're never able to get the one place where we can go look at all the data. And I don't think we're ever going to get it. I'm pessimistic about it. I thought we had a shot when there was a big push for dashboards during Race to the Top. It just kind of never... Well, give, give me an example of what
0: you, what you mean. Like, what would you like to see when you say, look at all the data? Like, look at an entire SIS? Like, um, what
2: are you talking about? Yeah, I work with superintendents, right? Mm-hmm. So with that, like, student information systems are notoriously bad at at visualizing data, yeah. right? So the, these, like these folks barely touch laptops anymore, right? They're on their phones mostly. Mm-hmm. And so they want to see really quickly, you know, high level data about what's, what's going on in the district today. Um, they want to see assessment data one place. You know, they got to go to so many different systems and they talk about how they have people on their team. They email a set of questions to somebody and then a bunch of reports show up in their inbox. I think, you know, no one's been able, and then, oh gosh, we have the whole like content standards for integrating into LMSs. Some content doesn't show up right. right. and it, you know, We've not been able to solve all that stuff. And, yeah, you know, we finally got it around rosters between Clever, Classlink, and a few other providers. Now you're able to uh, have your rosters on all the different systems. And that's, that's a really good thing.
0: Go take a look at what school status is doing. Yeah, they do one to one communication, but they're scraping entire systems on a nightly basis, and then providing it almost like in a baseball card format. Um, So like, if you right. have if you have a student, and you need to see all their assessments in their discipline, and all it's all in one spot, like, so you open your app on your phone, and boom, it's all right there. So uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of sounds like what you're describing. But I don't know if you've had a chance to dive in there or not.
2: Yeah. No, sure. The, the, there are people doing it. It's 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 a common refrain I hear. So our, our July session is uh, our July 18th Newport Superintendent Symposium mm-hmm. is focused on product development. So it's kind of fun. I get superintendents sitting around tables, messing around on whiteboards, and I bring in product development experts from some of our partners. Mm-hmm. And they basically turn their ideas into wireframes of potential ed tech products. It's fun because the the... The members really like members, meaning superintendents. They really like this kind of work and they like learning how the ed tech industry makes stuff. Um, it's a, it's a neat opportunity. And, you know, I expect then some interesting solutions will come out of that. So uh, Doug, if
0: somebody wants to sign up with you guys to be a member and have this exchange of ideas with the Institute uh, for Education Innovation, like what's the best way to go about doing that?
2: Uh, you can go uh, to our website. The URL is not awesome. It's Institute for For Ed uh, Twitter at IEI underscore K twelve. I'm at Doug Roberts underscore IEI. Um, we also uh, our superintendents give out awards each year called the Soup's Choice Awards, and that is soups S U P E S Choice com. Mm-hmm. The applications any any company or solution provider service provider may apply, and that application process starts at the end of June. Um, basically it kicks off with ISTE. So oh, cool. that's how uh, you can find us. We're out there and Oh, sorry. Our podcast is education thought leaders. And you know, we get a lot of superintendents on there talking about the work they're doing.
0: Well, that's excellent stuff. Doug, uh, Doug Roberts, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with us uh, before we take off though. Uh, are you ready for our pop quiz? I am. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be?
2: Is critical thinking a subject? I guess that would be technically social studies. I, I am biased. I, I taught social studies. I'm a history major, but okay. yeah, that that's my answer.
0: Okay. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching?
2: In some cases, I'm going to say same answer: critical thinking. But um, you know, I, I'm a big pro- proponent of of the arts and the hands-on experiences that kids get in in the arts. I think we we too often allow kids to. I'm not talking about like the general music class that everyone has to take, you know, at some point in their middle school or high school career where you learn the, the notes of a scale and a piano. I'm talking like, I think, you know, getting kids hands on, I mean, STEAM has been pushing for this, but hands on work in the arts where kids can feel at least connected to the creative process is really good for, you know, I, I think it sets kids up to understand the world a little better. But that's just my personal opinion.
0: What does every child deserve?
2: And access to an equitable education and justice.
0: What's the biggest challenge for today's educators?
2: Figuring out how to deliver that access to equitable education despite a funding mechanism that is set up to increase opportunity for some and decrease opportunity for others
0: that sounds like a whole nother podcast episode right
2: there. But. That's, I'm thinking about how much I say on it, but I think, right, you know, yeah. look, but it's the, you know, between, you've got districts that are set up in communities where redlining was the practice, the practice of keeping uh, African-American people from buying homes in certain neighborhoods mm-hmm. that doesn't go away. Even though we got rid of, even though we, we outlawed redlining, that still impacts these districts. And you know, that, That kind of stuff just makes it, you know, then you get white flight from the district and all that kind of stuff. It just, it's, they're trying to provide an equitable service, but the financial system that underpins it is, you know, rooted in a lack of equity. And that's just, it's hard.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Sounds pretty deep too. Um, What's the best gift to give an educator?
2: I just wrote a piece um, that's about to come out where we say that the best gift is not a Starbucks gift card, but um, (laughs) the it's, it's empathizing, listening, valuing, um, and some time off and uh, support to help them address the mental health needs. I think that the gifts we need to give are, are uh, approving budgets, you know, in States like mine, New York, where where you have to vote for budgets. Let's get out and vote. Yes. On our school district budgets. And, You know, all of them are including more and more mental health services. And let's give them the gift of being able to, you know, have the resources that they need to be good at their job.
0: Which teacher changed your life?
2: There are several. um, But the most pivotal one is uh, his name is Don Drysdale. He's my eighth grade math teacher. I was in the like accelerated math. So I was taking the New York Regents exam a year early. Um, It was basically pre-calc algebra. No, it was algebra one. Um, and I found out later he colluded with my parents, which I was grateful for. It was like a really cool parental move, but basically I was like too cool for school. I had made the baseball team and I was kind of blown off math because it wasn't my favorite. And, uh, he, he brought me in after school and he said, listen, you should get a hundred on this Regents. You should get every question, right? Regents is New York state's, uh, you know, final exam system, get your a Regents diploma. And I was like, no way, I'm not that good at math. And he goes, yeah, you are. You're selling yourself short. You should get 100. Anything less than 100 means that you have failed. And, wow. you know, my parents, knowing me well, and I guess my teacher knowing me too, knows that, like, I'm pretty competitive. So you throw something down like that for me, and uh, and I'm like, well, I'm going to prove you right then. And I did, and I got 100. And it, my whole entire, like, I, re, I committed to academics at that point and realized, okay, I got to focus on this stuff. And obviously it's, um, I have a a really amazing career and I'm grateful for it. And I don't think, you know, without, without Mr. Drysdale, I might've like just been kind of an A minus B plus student. Way
0: to go, Mr. Drysdale. Hopefully you were able to tell him thank you uh, later in life, right? Yes. Last question: Which book did you read, love, and want to recommend to our listeners?
2: I loved the James Patterson book about John Lennon's last. I think it's called John Lennon's Last Days. Okay. I'm a big music guy, and uh, to me, that um, that just uh, it told a great story, a sad story about um, you know how John Lennon's life ended. Sorry, it's not a pithy education book. Everybody, that's all right. <laughs> I've read a. I'll say like on the education side, um, I have a copy of Dr. Lavelle Brown's book about. Um, the the power of love and teaching. And I've, I've gotten a chapter into it. And, um, is just a really talented and and passionate writer and I can recommend that, but I haven't finished it yet.
0: (laughs) Well, we appreciate both those recommendations. Again, you're listening to Doug Roberts, the founder and CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation. Uh, go check out their website if you want to learn more or join up with them. Doug, thank you so much for joining us on Class Dismissed.
2: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at Class Dismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well, so please subscribe to the show, and we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo and I'll talk with you next week.
1: Class Dismissed!